Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus podcast. I'm Ira Jersey, the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. This is a Macro Matters edition of our podcast, and today I go across the pond to first speak with Hugh Worthington, who is our European rate strategist. Hugh, thanks for coming back on Fick Focus. Thanks for having me, Ira. So first, let's talk about the timely news, because as we record here on the 11th day of May in in 2023, the Bank of England just had their meeting. They hiked interest rates to 4.5%, and some people are saying they sounded a little bit hawkish, but the market doesn't seem to be taking it that way. So what was your read, and and what do you think the the is in store for the markets in the UK over the next couple of months? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think the uh, the Bank of England's got the dubious distinction of actually probably being the most honest uh, central bank out there and, and frankly i think they they, uh, they they hiked today by 25 basis points but equally at the same time they admitted that their their macroeconomic uh, forecasts were horribly wrong uh, as well as being their inflation forecasts and uh, and they're not honestly 100 percent sure um, you know maybe what to, to do about that um i think they 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 did flag up to us uh, quite a lot in the meeting that a lot of what they're doing is predicated on the fact that market rate the sorry bank of england rates Will get up to around 4.75%, which is where markets used to were expecting them some time ago. And on that basis, on, on the medium term view, they, they, they get back to that, uh, that 2% in, in inflation target. So I think they're, they're basically still sort of hanging on the fact that they, they actually 100% really don't know what to do. Um, but, uh, but they think that there's, there's a little bit more of a hike to come. There's possibly you know, a, another hike after that. But I think I get the impression that they're hoping that inflation will fall and and, and this makes sense. The, mechanically, that will happen pretty sharply in April, and that will bail them out. They've probably got one more hike in them, and I suspect that they stop then at 4.75%. But they're, they're really very unsure as to the, the transmission mechanism. They're very worried that they don't go in over-tightening um, mode. I think, you know, there goes back to the scenario of monetary policy being like pulling a brick across the table with a bungee, and, and the Bank of England are worried that if they pull too hard, the brick is going to suddenly leap off the table and come and smack them in the, in the mouth. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where we are. In particular, they focused a lawful loss within the meeting about how the, the rate hiking cycle has affected the, the, the mortgage market in the UK and that we've never had a rate hiking cycle like this in the UK with the fact that now, roughly speaking, they came into the, into the, into the hiking cycle, 85% of mortgages in the UK were, were on a fixed basis. Not, not like they are in, in America, very long fixes, but still a lot of them were fixed and it's taking a lot longer for, for the, 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 their hiking cycle to sort of really have uh, an a, a, a action on the market at the moment. So I think they're, they're, they're very, they are, they are basically, they don't exactly know what to do. And if maybe if you don't exactly know what to do, maybe you think sort of doing nothing or, or, or just going along with what you said before is, is, is the best policy. So it's interesting that now the Bank of England is signaling that maybe they're they're going to be a one and done central bank as well. 
Um, the ECB, maybe. What was your read that, that they're nearing the end of their hiking cycle as well? And certainly the Federal Reserve last week said the same thing. Like, basically, uh, unless something significantly changes, we expect them to be on hold starting in, at the June meeting. So, so is this a, you know, global developed markets or certainly European, U.S. central banking uh, regime that is likely to, to pause and have that wait and see attitude that you just mentioned uh, that the Bank of England seems to be taking? Do, do you think that that's true for the continent? as well um, it's probably a little bit less true for the continent obviously we had um, uh, the ECB hike last week only by 25 base points so a bit of a downshift in the in, in, in the amount that they're doing it but they what they did do is also they, they accelerated the, the what they were going to do on the QT front so we were expecting them in June to tell us that they were going to uh, go from re reinvesting around half of the uh, regular asset purchase program QE as it falls due to, to, to doing none but they actually announced that last week that they, they would stop that completely in July that was a little bit hawkish. Um, the guard also did say it to us at that meeting, more, much more specifically than the Bank of England did today, for example, that they, the, the rate hikes had not stopped and there, there were more to come. So I think really the ECB now, we're, they probably are acutely aware that you know they obviously they, they started hiking rates months and months after the Bank of England and, and several months after the Fed, and obviously QT is really only coming in in, in full blow now uh, from, from July onwards. So I think they are a bit aware that they are, they're full behind the curve. So we're probably looking at 25 basis points curve uh, moves in the next two meetings. But actually, the recent comments out of the ECB seems to be that actually there may well be that you need to get another final hike possibly um, in September. And if so, that would take uh, ECB policy rates up, up towards sort of the 4%, which is um, you know, a lot higher than probably people, people were expecting. And probably you know, saying that they've got to be there for some time with great, great cuts not really happening for at least a year after that. And that's hard to sort of reconcile with two-year shots rates, which are, you know, currently, um, you know, around, around the 2.5% mark. They're talking about if, if that was the case in, in Europe, then the, the policy rates would be averaging up around sort of the 3.5% area over the next two years. So, uh, so Europe does look a little bit um, like this. They've still got more wood to chop, as it? So interestingly, then that suggests uh, maybe you could get a little bit of, um, of bear flattening in the European curve, which might be significantly different than what you might get in gilts or, or treasuries over the next couple of uh, couple of quarters. Is that yeah. is that your read of it? I think that's my read too. And I think, well, one thing is, is quite interesting, actually, the spread between gilts and buns actually have, uh, have spiked out a little bit um, of late. And you're talking about uh, uh, you know, that, that spread got up to, uh, you know, up to up towards 150 basis points, I think, uh, recently. But that they may well be that, well, and then that's in the tenure area. It may well be that that's got a bit of tightening to do as well, because there's, I mean, that, that seems to have maybe got out of, out of a little bit of kill drift. So if the bank go on pause um, soon, as, as soon as we expect, um, and these don't, then maybe we can sort of see a bit of a narrowing between the two curves of those two jurisdictions. So when we talk about uh, interest rates that uh, in both the UK and, and obviously in Europe, we also have to think about how um, some of those rate hikes are going to have an effect not only on on the markets and the market pricing of it, but also on on, on uh, finances of the uh, of the different nations within those those zones. So, you know, talk a little bit about. I know France was uh, uh, there was rating actions on France not so long ago. There's potential other rating actions coming up for other European countries. Um, maybe you could review a little bit of that. What's causing it, and and how you see the uh, maybe the markets reacting to any rating agents downgrades of any of the sovereigns within the eurozone yeah 100 percent. actually yeah so you make a very good point there so fitch uh slightly unexpectedly um cut the french rating 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't think many people were expecting that. They cited, in particular, sort of the political outlook in France with President Macron having to use a, a bit of an arcane constitutional route to pass his pension reform to get the pension age up from 62 to 64. And I think the fact that there's, there's no sort of political agreement for this, these sort of things you know, has upset Mr. Bit. Generally, also there, the debt of the GDP creeping up and, um, and no sort of big plans to actually sort of start to reverse that sharply. That sort of upset, upset Fitch a bit. But like I say, Fitch actually um, are due to re review Italy's rating uh, tomorrow evening. Now, at the moment, Fitch are on triple flat there, so I think anything unlikely to completely sort of downgrade out of kilter. But there is a decent chance that um, you know, Fitch could, could look at uh, Italy too and maybe look at the political situation, the fact that debt is uh, you know, obviously spiked up a lot higher outright yields are at sort of levels where debt sustainability, frankly, is likely on the cusp. And, and it could be that they could, you know, they could look at a, a, a we may be moving on to a negative outlook there. I think the thing, the really important one, though, however, is a week on Friday, is Moody's uh, review Italy. Now, Moody's is much more, much more tricky. Uh, Moody's has Italy on triple B minus, which is obviously on the rate of, uh, uh, brink of being an investment grade uh, uh, nation. But Moody's is actually on negative outlook. Uh, now, that was only put on in the middle of last year, so maybe it would be early for them to move. But I think if Fitch were to, were to act tomorrow night, people would probably get properly on edge um, about the Moody's decision, you know, would follow a week later. And I think you probably, you may well get a bit of widening into that decision anyway, as people get a bit nervous over that. The reason why people get nervous, well, in particular, the big uh, index indexes out there, they need uh, investment grade ratings from, for the most part, two of the three Main rating agencies, and if you had one uh, certainly at risk of either, either going uh, out of investment grade or, or, or actually doing it, then obviously then people get very nervous indeed, and you tend to get selling you know, around that sort of activity. People being sort of nervous about whether the, whether index eligibility you know, can be affected because you know a lot of those foreigners that sit in Italy in particular they rely on that those indexes. That's that's why they hold it, and, and you know, you're talking about six hundred billion or so euros of, uh, of foreign debt in, in Italy that would probably be reliant on that. Like I say, if Fitch do do something tomorrow night, or even say some uh, some some, you know, that they're concerned about things, then I think the, the you could well see some pressure on those Italian spreads and other probably spreads as well um, in Europe into that Moody's meeting. Worth keeping an eye on if nothing else. So, what do you think you would be the most correlated to Italy in in a, a bad case scenario? Presumably, it might be some of the other peripheral nations, or maybe the the what 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 do they call them the the semi core nations? Um, what, would you see their spreads to say Germany it would start to widen a, a little bit more, or do you think that a lot of that risk is already priced in the market? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's difficult to say, but it, it basically everybody moves with a beta to Italy. So, if Italian spreads. Uh, widen out 10 basis points, I would expect uh, places like Spain and, and Portugal to probably follow six or seven basis points wider. Um, but that evening sort of goes down, you know, further into the spectrum, right, as it may, down into the core and the semi-core. I don't know if France is still seen as core at the moment, or is it, or is it just in the semi-core? But I would expect if, if Italy were to come under pressure, then the French spreads would be probably maybe, maybe not widening as much as seven basis points. On a 10 basis point, it's Italy widening. But, you know, you certainly talk about maybe three or four. So yeah, there there is a, there's, there's an impact for everybody if uh, if and when we get these sorts of moves. That's great. That was Hugh Worthington, the European rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. When we come back, we'll be with Anna Wong, the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. And we're back on the Fic Focus podcast. Now we bring in Anna Wong. She is the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, thanks for coming back on Fic Focus. Good to be here, Ira. 
So we've had a lot of news the last two weeks. As we record here on the 11th day of May 2023, we had a Fed meeting last week. We've had some European Central Bank's uh, meetings, which we talked about with Hugh Worthington just a few minutes ago. Let's focus in, though, a little bit on some of the recent data. So we had the consumer price index on Wednesday. We had the producer prices on Thursday morning, uh, just a couple hours ago from when we're speaking. Was there anything in there that made you think about changing your views at all, or were everything coming in more or less as expected? Well, I think I think the numbers from CPI report and PPI did not really um, – you know, make a big difference in terms of what we are expecting the Fed to do in June. However, it did uh, affect my own view uh, in terms of uh, the projection of where inflation would be, or, or really affect my confidence about my forecast going forward. So my takeaway from the CPI report yesterday is quite different from many in the market. I, I saw that many of the commentary in, on the media um, yesterday was that CPI report suggests cooling and it makes a solid case for the Fed to pause. I didn't interpret the CPI that way yesterday. I actually thought that the jump in used car price was pretty alarming. I was wondering why people are not making a big, bigger deal out of that. We saw that core goods is, uh, inflation is growing at the fastest pace since June 2020. 22. It reversed this trend of disinflation, and um, and 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 it it confirms kind of my suspicion going into the CPI report yesterday that the kind of impulse for disinflation for good sector is over, and so going forward, um, the driver of disinflation would be housing. And yesterday's report is reassuring on that front because it does does show that. Um, Rents are coming down uh, off from their peak of the like 0.7 or 0.8 percent per month. That kind of peak pace, but but you know, I think that um, housing will only contribute to about 70 bips of disinflation um, in the rest of this year. That still leaves you with um, an inflation rate, a core inflation rate that's around 4 percent, and with good sector reversing the, their disinflation trend. Uh, since last year, where would that impetus come from, except from a recession? So, so I think I think the the print yesterday to me was not reassuring at all in terms of the progress on inflation. And then the PPI print today, my takeaway is so the PPI print is not important just by itself, but it is important in the sense of what it implies for the Fed's preferred inflation measure, which is PCE. Deflator, because the uh, PCE deflator takes as input value CPI and PPI, and the key categories in this uh, PPI to watch is healthcare services, hospital costs, physician costs, because those are the stuff that goes into the PCE deflator. Also, we we were watching airfares, it's the PPI airfares that goes into it, and also financial uh, activity, and. I would say out of those three categories that's very important in the PPI, the healthcare services showed a much firmer monthly inf inflation than the CPI. So that goes into Powell's super core, right? the core services excluding uh, uh, housing. And so, um, so, that, so that, that's pretty important, right? Uh, um, and also, that's not going in the direction that, that Powell would want. And 
Uh, on the other ha hand, airfares is plunging faster than the CPI suggests, so that would you know offset that healthcare uh, inflation. But if you think about it, which one would you put more weight on on telling you the future trend of inflation? I would put my money on the healthcare um, um, inflation because. Airfares can change. Airfares prices change all the time, and whereas healthcare prices is very, very sticky, and the PPI signal is that it is not good. So I think, all in all, I would say the data and the way that market and market participants are um, interpreting the data is sort of wrong since yesterday, and I, I. Although the data point did not cause me to to think that the Fed will, uh, you know, uh, not proceed with their pause in June, I do think that these data points are not reassuring for in the inflation outlook. So one of the implications of that, and you and I uh, have talked about this, and I, I think we've been pretty consistent with the idea that you know the the pause is going to be longer than the market is thinking, and and I've noted that there's a little bit of a bimodal distribution going on when you look at the uh, options markets on some short-term interest rate instruments like SOFR uh, futures. Um, we're really pricing for either a lot of cuts by by the the middle of 2024 or um, or an on hold for a very long period of time. So the you know the, the outcome for the Federal Reserve, based on what you just said, might be as we have discussed in the past, and and, and I think you just reiterated, is that inflation might come down, but it's going to be much slower maybe than the market's thinking, and therefore the Fed is just going to. You know, be on hold a little bit longer, um, and so, so you know, is that still your read? And and you know, how do you think that um, inflation develops, and and how the the Fed is going to react to that? Yeah, I think Ira, we were pretty much on agreement with that point. You and I, we think um, that the mar market, um, the in terms of the bimodal distribution, we, I would be in the camp that sees no cut this year. Um, that said, I really. I actually see a bimodal um, scenario in terms of how inflation could develop in the rest of this year. So the, our baseline is that a recession unfolds in the second half. And usually the, the way that in, um, a recession um, affects inflation is that immediately when in, in the first part of the recession, you will see headline inflation comes down because uh, the recession most affect um, oil prices, energy prices, commodity prices. So, so that will drive headline down perhaps by another 100 bips. However, core inflation does not get affected by a recession until well after the recession develops, usually after the second quarter of a recession. So I... Um, so I think so. This is how the uh, recession will affect inflation. So immediately it brings down headline, but core stays sticky until two quarters after the recession. The other scenario is that if you don't have a recession, and then both headline and core stays elevated, then in that case, you know, of course the the Fed uh, cannot cut, and perhaps we'll have to raise even further. Uh, in the second half of this year. But I think in the two scenarios that I described to you, the core inflation will stay still pretty elevated, um, even in the middle of a recession. And that's why I don't think uh, the Fed can cut even in the second half of this year. So then what are the risk scenarios to, to that view? Do you think that there's, you know, we sometimes 
people talk about a pause that refreshes or that, you know, if, if, you know, what causes inflation maybe to actually reverse and move higher. So it's, it's interesting when we look at our multi-strategy connect chat, which has, you know, several, about 1500 investors in it, there are a lot of people who are still worried that inflation could reaccelerate in a very meaningful way. You mentioned before about how the good sector prices seem to have bottomed and are starting to move a little bit higher, and that it looks like we'll have continued pretty reasonably sticky services inflation. Um, you know, housing obviously is is you know maybe the the moderator there when it comes to the the non goods inflation categories. But but is there you know under what scenario does inflation reaccelerate and then you know d- does that mean that the Fed stays on hold longer or do you think that there's a real possibility that they could actually um, increase interest rates yet yet again? Yeah, uh, so Ira, that's a great question. I, I think that it first we have to define what horizon uh, forecast we're talking about. So, in terms of a forecast horizon of the rest of 2023 and 2024, I see uh, the negative base effects of inflation playing a key role. So just that alone, not because of any economic factors, but because of this, we start off from a high base last year. And as we, we, we roll out of this base, it will naturally push down year over year inflation, no matter what inflation does, right? And this fifth channel is operating until around the end of this year and early next year. So, you know, it's actually doesn't tell you much if somebody tells you that the year-over-year inflation falls. You know, kind of like the news headline yesterday saying, inflation now falls to 4.9%. It cools. Well, it's not because the monthly pace is still going at 5% annualized. Um, So now that gets to the monthly pace is what tells you what will eventually happen to the year-over-year inflation. And as we exit this kind of negative base period into next year is where you start seeing risks that that year-over-year measure of inflation will start taking up because you will no longer have those easy and cheap disinflation forces at work, right? So as I mentioned, goods prices have reversed and uh, goods in disinflation has uh, reversed. So if there's any additional adverse supply shock, then you will see the impulse for uh, inflation impulse for for goods to go up again. And then there's also this second idea that the economy is going through a lot of rolling regress, recessions, right? Um, the first that comes to mind is housing. And the, the lags of monetary policy to the housing sector is very short, as we have already seen. The moment that the Fed a pause or signal a pause or people pricing in economic weakness in the long end of the treasury yields, as you know, you've been telling me, Ira, then mortgage rates goes down and uh, there's an impetus for housing price to rise again because in the housing market, we have a severe backlog of demand. Many millennials priced out of the market now, the moment that mortgage rates start taking down, they're in again. And, and you know, so this kind of, the, the housing price reinflation could have an impact on rents in 2025. It's not something that you'll see in 2024. So between now and 2024, we're still getting that dis, uh, lagging disinflation from the housing sector that started last year to early this year. And then it takes until 2025 
will you see if, if housing market uh, prices go up next year? And you will see the price inflation, rent inflation in 2025. So I think given that the different lags of monetary policy to the real economy and how you know, various sectors is actually recovering right now rather than entering into this phase where the lags of monetary policy uh, peak, um, then you, you see that after we exit this year, those, the prices in those sectors will one by one come back up again. Great. Well, we're at time. That was Anna Wong. She is the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Thanks very much for coming back on FIC Focus, Anna. Happy to be here. And on behalf of Anna and Hugh Worthington, I've been Ira Jersey. I appreciate you listening. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests you'd like us to speak with, we would love to hear from you. You can hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal at BI Rate N for our dashboard. And with that, until next time, be well. Be well.